Yo, we are back again with a real episode this time, everyone. Um, Jason, hit me no. with a test. Testing one, two. Yeah, that sounds fine. Whatever. We're back. We're back. Yeah. I kind of want to change it to we're back at the beginning of every episode. Yo, well, you know what? I got a text yesterday from a patron slash listener who said, damn, it was good to hear you say yo this morning. We, uh, we, we missed you. So I like that. The yo is appreciated. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jason, why don't you tell everyone what we got today? Today we're talking about the Texas Reason LP, Do You Know Who You Are? Mm-hmm. Wait. Revelation Records number 51. So for some reason, I feel like we have two episodes about this record. Is that correct? Yes. So, so which which one, one are we which one to... are we listening to today? <laughs> the one the one for today is uh, an awesome conversation that we had with Garrett uh, vocals guitar and Chris Daly drums, which was just super awesome talking to those guys. We we talked to Garrett before for New Rising Suns. As everyone knows, I'm a big I'm just a big fan of Garrett's musical output. I know. God, you won't um, shut up about it. <laughs> and Jason and I especially have always talked about Chris Daly's drumming mm-hmm. is oh, yes. just like for this and for Jets to Brazil and uh, you know the, the stuff he's done one at 108 like I'm just such a fan of the drumming but especially the the just the drum sound and the drum performance on this record I think is so great so I was glad to be able to kind of get into the weeds a little bit um with Chris about uh, the drumming. So I think this is a really cool conversation uh, about one of my favorite albums, period. Before we get into the interview, I was, I think this week, I just found out that there's two Chris Daly's in the hardcore scene. There's actually three. There's three. Okay. So we got Chris Daly, the drummer. Then we got the guy who wrote the book about the anthrax, right? Because and I found that out because one of our pa- we got a message saying that we should do an episode about the Anthrax Club and so I looked it up because I thought there was an, a documentary on mm-hmm. Amazon but that's the one about City Gardens so which is sick which is sick and that's a good that's a good movie but the but Google told me that there's a book written about the Anthrax by I have it. Chris Daly, I, right? By Chris Daly, yes. So that's okay. Chris so Daly. then there's a third one, which is a photographer? Question mark. No, it's uh, he played in One Sided War with oh. um, Matt from Bold. Uh huh. Um, and apparently, uh, he was a bit controversial. I think I hate oh. to put him on blast, but I think like I just remembered like I don't know if he ripped people off or whatever, but. Mm. I mean, hey, I don't know. Whatever. And it was also 25 years ago. But. Sure. <laughs> um, and I would say to cut that, but it's too late. Is one of those people <laughs> also the guy from Smorgasbord? Yeah, that's that's Chris Daly, Ant- Anthrax book, Chris Okay, Daly. so uh, he put out one of my favorite records of all time, which is a Bloodlet 7-inch, so... And created one of the most iconic hardcore shirts of all time, that Smorgasbord oh, yeah. straight-edge shirt. And... Um, Bit up bow to 
uh, Mike McTurnan for maybe being one of the first times I ever saw one of those shirts in a picture. And he's the reason uh, that we got uh, Slipknot, that we got all three members of Slipknot was through oh, Chris Daly. Wow, uh, so smorgasbord. But there's yeah. lots of Chris Daly's in the world that are doing good things. So bit at bows to Chris Daly. But, and the one-sided uh, war record, by the way, never heard awesome. it. Awesome, never heard yeah, it. That is good. Uh, if you like bold looking back, I do. You will like it. Okay, I'm in. Listen, I think now would be a really, really good time too. I want to give a, a bit of bow to our friends. Um, and this week's sponsor, War Records. Um, we've talked about War Records before, and they just keep putting out uh, straight fire. A new album coming out uh, from Berthold City, When Words Are Not Enough, comes out March 18th. It features our very own Jason, guests on a song. Great band. I, I always have a soft spot for straight edge bands. Straight edge band. Great guys in the band, Andrew, one of my old buddies, Dennis, you know, who played in Internal Affairs and so many other great bands. And also one of my um, jujitsu coaches, Dave Ito, he's a, a very Yo. accomplished. Oh, he's in the band too. Out. He plays guitar. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, they're they're honestly really great. Um, some of the versions are already sold out. Jeremy Dean, who we also love, did the merch. Um, they got all sorts of like cool limited colors. Um, You know, it just, this is definitely gonna be one of the best uh, hardcore records of the year. I I already know this and I haven't heard anything besides the new song that they premiered uh, on the This Is Hardcore podcast. So um, I'm really excited to hear the rest. Uh, Recorded by Nick Jett from Terror. Mastered by Brad Boatwright, who's done like mastering of so many different uh, great records. So, I'm also really, so a good. really really good video on YouTube just came out. It's one of the best hardcore music music videos I've ever seen. To be honest, yeah, it's cool. And uh, so yeah, twelve tracks, March eighteenth. Get into it. Speaking of getting into it. Let's get into this interview. Can I kick it? Kick it, kick it. I think that's saying something for sure. So I'm stoked to talk about this one. So we will, we'll dive right in. Um, So what's up everybody. We are here today with Garrett and Chris from Texas is the reason to talk about Rev 51. Um, Do you know who you are? LP released in 1996. Uh, I think eight, I think if I recall, it's April. 30th 1996 i remember that because it's my youngest brother's birthday he turned 10 in 1996 (laughs) i don't know if he likes texas is the reason he should because i'm sure he's heard it a million times when i lived at home but um, (laughs) thanks guys again for coming on for this one 
Um, Thanks for having us. You know, last Thanks time we talked us, about the, the seven inch, the LP for me, again, monumental record. Um, it was, this was my introduction to Texas is the reason. And um, we're just thrilled to talk about it. So we left off last, you have the seven inch, um, you know, Rev ends up putting it out. That comes out and, and it's recorded in April of, I mean, that puts it in perspective, right? It was recorded April 29th, 95. Then almost yeah. a year to the day, this album comes out. So you guys were, yeah. were hustling. Um, you do the split the with uh, Samuel, um, which is something to forget version one, yep. which um, we'll dive in just because I know people are going to be, what didn't talk? We can dive into the, the split and the promise ring split. And of course, the, the two final songs on Rev 151. So in like five years at the rate we're going, we'll, we'll have to hit you back up for the <laughs> thing. But for now, we're just going to talk about the nine songs that encompass this album. So um, I guess first and foremost is for me, I wanted to know Jay Robbins, um, a name, you know, that was, that was actually a selling point for me. I was a Jawbox fan before I knew Texas is the reason. Us too. Um, yeah. And uh, like the For Your Own Special Sweetheart album uh, came out. That was the first thing I heard, you know, in 94 it came out and I just became a big fan of, of Jay's work, you know, through the Jawbox catalog and then knowing that he you know, did production. But wasn't this also one of his like first things that he produced? Yep. Yeah. It, kind of kept he, that uh, tradition going. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, he uh, Before this, I think he had only done Kerosene 454. Uh, wow. The, for the first one, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but, or, you know, probably maybe something else, but, you know, obviously we, we loved for your own special sweetheart. We love Jawbox, and, you know, we were into that record too, you know, too. And it had just, uh, I, you know, it had come up as an option to like, you know, we started talking about our next record and where we were going to do it and all this stuff, you know, we had all these ideas and then Jay Robbins came into the, picture like and that was an option like to do it at oz with him and we were just like holy shit oh like, yeah. yeah it was a no-brainer so that was that was it we're like we're gonna do it with jay at oz it was really i don't remember even you know i mean obviously originally we probably thought we were gonna do it with brian but then when that came up you know doing especially because jay was like i can get a ra good rate at oz and uh you know it just everything it just seemed like that was you know, we had and at that time, my girlfriend at that time was living on Biddle on the same. She was going to school at the Maryland Institute College of Art. And uh, Oz is on West Biddle, right? Or East Biddle Street. I've never. She, she lived across the bridge. Walked on that street. So I wouldn't tell you even like this day. But, <laughs> yeah. So you, you guys, you go down, you, you, you know, you, you said on the when we talked, um, you know, a while back about the seven inch. Something to forget. Uh, version one was probably the next song in the in the batch as far as from the seven inch. Um, I guess what do you remember about writing um, the songs for this LP? Because to me, this one is is a marked. It still sounds like the same band, but it's a. I I feel as a listener, it's a huge step up. You know, songwriting wise. Um, I mean you were progressing at like a crazy rate for a band that was only together for, you know, 24 months or whatever. Um, 
do you remember like what was so you had something to forget then do you remember maybe what came next and what the writing was like blue boy blue boy okay blue boy came next and then we we knew that was earmarked for the um the jay tree split with promise ring and uh or no we had met that after the lp i'm sorry that wasn't before that was after because that would have you know that was we were that was the first song we wrote after do you know who you are okay gotcha that summer of uh we recorded the ep in april that summer we went and recorded something to forget version one with brian and i guess we had already started writing songs for the lp but we had already knew that song was going to be that was kind of like a throwaway so we're uh you know like we we knew that wasn't going to be on the next lp for some reason we we didn't intend for it to be shall i say yeah when it came down to it we're like let's rework that i think we just needed another song and it's kind of like where we were at um but we uh we had you know i mean i think for the most part we had the material pretty locked in and rehearsed uh as much as we could because we i mean we played shows and toured you know we we left for tour the fall of 95 and we never stopped playing shows or touring we took small pieces off but we were always playing until the end of the band in march of 97 so like in there we somehow found time to write you know sometimes it would be at sound checks you know like wherever we could find time to write we would do it but we would practice the songs like live pretty much you know like yeah at sound checks and you know so it, it all the songs had a, like a real live feel to them you know because they weren't they weren't crafted in rehearsal rooms. They were crafted from playing live and like having riffs and, you know. Yeah. By then I was playing guitar full time. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, a lot of that stuff honed in between shows on stage <laughs> sound checks. And you and, and you and Norman had kind of created this like, you know, this language with your guitar playing too that was part of our the new song. For sure. That, For sure. Which also came from playing live shows. Yeah. So one of the things I always thought about this record, and I remember maybe seeing an interview with you guys, um, is that even though the songs are written before hearing some of the, the, the stuff I'm about to mention, the vibe of, to me, the vibe of Britpop is like just in the execution of this and the Garrett, your like your your vocals and stuff like was was that something that crept in even recording like the oasis like i don't know i always felt like you guys had that that brit pop feel where that's kind of what set you apart to me from a band like i love the promise ring but they didn't necessarily have that uh sound or or get up kids or any of that was that something that kind of i don't know if it was in, in or i don't know if it was intentional but or if we were think, I I can say for sure I I was back then I wasn't thinking let's make this sound like an Oasis song. I mean, if big chords and anthemic choruses equal Britpop, then then yeah, I guess we were. But to me, it doesn't sound anything like Britpop at all. Well, I mean, my vocals. It, it, are fair, it has that feel to it to me. I think which is like it's tough to quantify. But like mm. it doesn't like like someone that listens to Oasis, I wouldn't play them this and they wouldn't say, oh, my God, this sounds like Oasis. But to me, it just had that like spirit, I guess. I mean, for I'll me, like, at the time, I think like as a band, we were listening to like Oasis, the Verve, like early Verve was a big, you know, we had 
started getting really big into that. But just as much as we were listening to Lungfish, Fugazi, you know, I mean, the thing, the crazy thing is that like for people who can, you know, who listen to those bands, like if you listen to Lungfish and early Verve records, there's not a lot of worlds, musical worlds between those two sounds. Like there's That's a true. lot of similarities. I mean, right. the way recorded, and I know it's unintentional, but it's, you know, though, though both those bands were big on us, at least for me, like what I was playing on that record, a lot of my drum playing comes from like, you know, Lungfish for Fugazi. That's what I was listening to a lot of um, Oasis too. But I don't think, you know, that had not really crept into my playing so much. Um, but yeah, yeah I, like those, those bands, like it wasn't so much like trying to sound like Ripop. We were trying to sound like Fugazi too. But, you know, Fugazi right. pretty big sounding band at times when you, you know, you think sound is, you know, they're monumental how how important that band was on us and you know definitely uh you to know. jason and i too you know huge yeah that, that yeah, whole but, style and i remember at the time all these bands like that i mentioned you know texas promise ring get up kids it's funny because at the time it was all marked as oh this is like the next generation of sunny day real estate but like i don't really hear similarity from sunny day real estate in any of those like I guess, like like Garrett said, the fact that it's melodic and has like anthemic choruses, like okay, so it's just kind of funny to think how people still, you know, people are always going to look to put something, in, put a label on yeah. something, whether we well, want that's to how it or goes. not. Yeah, and it's yeah. like it's just kind of funny to think back then it was all like, oh, these this is just like post Sunny Day Real Estate core, like that was at least how it was presented a lot of the times. Um, but were they were Sunny Day? Like, were you guys into the Diary record or? Oh, yeah, of course. I, you know, Norman was really into Sunny Day. I was into Sunny Day too. Um, and there was definitely, I think, some of that. But I, overall, I know, I know Scoots, like, I don't even think he liked them at all. And I, you know, it possibly, maybe he did, but I, I, for somebody, I, it's possible he didn't. Um, but as a band, yeah, I, they weren't. It was like we were, you know, we were like into like rock stuff. We we're into like, we were really into Discord and like Quicksand, you know, like Quicksand were like our big brothers. They took us under their wing, like really. And like, we, we kind of through them, like we were like, it's like, you know, we use them as a model, like, Oh, they're, they're kind of, they're doing it the right way. Like they're, they're, you know, they're still like a part of this scene that they, you know, came from, but they're taking it to different places. They're, you know, they're growing their hair a little long and playing rock and roll music, you know, like kind of going into the mainstream a little bit, but doing it the right way, you know, like, right. It was like we kind of if not that like we saw ourselves like taking that exact path, but we knew that it there those were possibilities. There were still ways to do that, like with grace and you know, like quality, you know, writing good music and making good records, you know, and just kind of using, you know, the different opportunities to like build your your band and like, you know, your music and all that. It's like the, the fun part of it. Oh, I mean, just as far as uh preparation for the record with the response to the seven inch was Rev really ready to push this record because it seemed highly visible when it came out, um, maybe jumping ahead a little bit to when the record was actually released, but just what were the expectations for the, for the LP? I mean, they were psyched on it when we, when we turned it in, they were definitely like, you know, we were all really excited on it. And it just, it was like, when we did it thing, it just started as soon as it was done, it started to gain momentum even before it came out. Like, you know, it just like things started happening and like started 
catching people's ears and um, you know, we're able to get it mastered, like at this really good mastering facility. That's another reason that record. I was going to ask about that. Yeah, it, it was that was like, a, I don't even know. I, I mean, I know there's some logistics there that probably, you know, but that was a, that was basically like just good karma. Like someone was like, you know, that all came together and like we can get the record mastered at this like at Sony mastering. And like, you know, all the Revelation records were getting mastered, you know, probably in Southern California at the time. So that's what it was just, that's why it sounded a lot different too. You know, it got a really amazing mastering job too, which yeah. time yeah. I didn't. What's his name? Vlado, what is, Vlado Meller. I'm trying to look yeah. like at his I mean, credits. Um, I Norman can't. orchestrated all that, you know, even in he, he, we had the same person remaster the new tracks that we recorded for the discography. So, you know, for, to have that whole thing kind of conducive, you know, all together. So, um, you know, that was things like that were cool. But I remember like at the time too, Revelation had like gone through this metamorphosis and was riding its wave as like a pretty, uh, you know, like I wouldn't say like, like, yeah, like college, you know, they were in the CMJ world and like, you know, with, yeah. with Farside and Sensefield and, um, you know, Whirlpool, like there was a lot of bands that were just kind of like taking the sound, you know, Revelation mid 95 was just like the roster. Oh man, it's the best. The I mean, roster's I mean, there great. Were hardly, I don't know. I mean, other than the old guard, there were, they weren't, they hadn't gotten back into like signing new hardcore bands. It was like, so yeah. we were kind of like in this zone of hardcore bands who were playing more different types of style of music. But it was right. cool. We were, we were right in the middle of that. So by the time, you know, the EP had come out and the EP, LP was ready to come out a year later, the label was really like, doing you know had promotion and like the, the right outlet set up to kind of so that you know when the record came out it was just you know it was the first time that like, like revelation was kind of on the ball and like whatever and not even their fault you know just where things everything things didn't get delayed and you know at the pressing plant stuff like that it was just like you know we had like promo cassettes i was like oh you know when we got those i was like this is kind of cool. Like that felt really like fancy and like, (laughs) it was like stick, you know, like, Oh, that's just kind of cool that they made these cassettes that aren't, you know, they're not even going to sell, you know, they're just to send out. And like, so it was like the label was, you know, ahead of the game with that, you know, getting, getting the record promoted. And so when it did come out, there was like press and, you know, we were on tour and, you know, you saw the record in stores and it was, I bought mine at Best Buy. Like that'll yeah. that kind of tells you everything. I know my family was always jazzed. They're like, I found your record in Sam Goody. Yeah. I mean, that was a big deal. <laughs> you know, deal my for, good. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. But yeah, sometimes, you know, it was cool going in the mall too. And you're like, this is my record. You know, like, yeah. but I, it's all sitting in the bin. It's not like someone bought it. It's such. <laughs> I always thought too, that the, the mastering um, is what, made this record stick out because it doesn't sound dated i I, i'd said the same thing with sensefield building where they ended up getting it mixed by andy wallace and then mastered by uh howie weinberg where like it still sounds fresh and and i think that about the the texas record is like it doesn't sound like a record from 1996 at all so you know kudos to you guys and to and to norman for you know getting that because i think that really to me at least, like sets it apart from others. Like, again, to mention Promise Ring, I love third, that 30 Degrees Everywhere record, but it sounds like it's from 1996. Um, you know, so I- Eric, do you have a dog? 
he won't he won't stop like this Sorry. this record sounds huge to me like i like um you know i'd mentioned when we did a patreon episode on slip talking about like alan cage you know to, to talk about you chris for a minute this is an air drum record for me and i'm not a drummer but like this this and slip are like two of like the ultimate air drum the drums to me on this sound <laughs> fantastic you. like the 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 playing and the feels like seven inch sounds great but i just felt like the stuff you were playing on this jason i talked about it is another yeah. thing that really set this apart was the drumming it's like the first i mean it literally opens the record just like with slip like you know the the drum fill um how were you just practicing like non-stop like drums it was i mean i lit i mean it was like the, the time of my life where i literally lived with my drums i had a rehearsal space where i you know in my parents house and i lived there and just could go play my drums so i was like it was uh that's why i could i could play like every day and i kind of miss that you know like i have a rehearsal space i can go to and i always have but like yeah i mean it was definitely like the time i played drums the most in my life you know Chris was always the our secret weapon. I mean, a- any any show we played early on or up to the end, it's just once he kicks it in, it's just it sounds different than any other band that you're playing with. So we always had that, and then good songs, you know. Yeah, uh, on top. I mean, of you that. need to have, but the, we, the drummer is key. I mean, to have a good drummer, and I think that's too, Chris, not to puff you puff you up even more but that was what parlayed into your next musical project that like i know javier and i could and, and jason could probably punish punish you about jets to brazil um was the drumming again it was like oh wow this is like it's like you know just great great drumming so you were definitely on fire um you. you know at this time but this record it's nuts for me to think too that within a year of this being out you guys were we're done. And I think a lot's already been talked about, you know, this about signing to or almost signing with capital. And I feel like maybe that stuff we can save for the, uh, you know, our conversation in five years uh, yeah. for the, for the discography, just cause those, you know, there's the n- newest songs on there. But um, when this did come out, what was the reaction like? Cause again, I didn't hear it for about six months after it came out, but I just remembered it was all people were talking about was like this Texas is the reason album. Um, what was that like? I remember just- a buzz. I remember a big buzz about it, but we were just playing so many shows and in the van, we were either driving somewhere or on stage. So a lot of that stuff personally was lost on me. We definitely reaped the benefits a few times. And, you know, of course it was the early mid nineties. But as far as I was concerned at that point in my life, I just wanted more shows and more time away from New York City, just or, or playing in New York City. Right. Nothing else mattered to us at that point. Yeah, we had like, you know, we were in like a little bubble, like Eric said, it was us. And like we had this like close knit group of friends who like, you know, we kept really, you know, and they would travel with us, you know, to Europe or you know, around the U S like any couple of them. And we just, you know, it was, it was just, and it was also, you know, at different times, like, you know, there wasn't the internet there. We weren't looking at our phones. You weren't, you know, but you could still get criticism. Like, you know, so like, I remember like at first, like there there was, you know, there was definitely like 
positive, a lot of positivity around it. And we were definitely like getting more opportunities as a band. Um, and we were taking them anytime it was like, yes, 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 yes. And it was like, we never said no. And that, you know, eventually led to burnout, but it was like, you know, we heard some things about like, Oh, the new record sounds really slick. You know, people had always already said like, we already signed to a major label. Like they signed, they signed, they signed, they signed. And it's like, we, we hadn't, we were, you know, that we were talking to people, but we were just being a band. We were playing shows. Yeah, and free dinners too. Like yeah, what? just like, you know, reaping the benefits, Outless. like Garrett said. We were really, yeah. that's what it was. It was like, we were having fun and like made, you know. Yeah, us and every, and most other bands. Yeah, I mean, at, it wasn't. that time frame. Yeah, I mean, like they would come, you know, because you forget, it's like if they came to see your band in the 90s, you're always playing with like, at least two or three other great bands more than likely like you know most shows were stacked four or five bands whatever chances are yes if a band if some guy from some labels come to see you he's going to see the band that you're opening for who isn't signed or you know whatever so it's like it just it just happens it's an exciting time like to be a fan it's just like also you know i'm sure being in the band but it was a you know it was like we kind of just rode away from the from when the LP came out until a year later when we broke up, we, uh, it was just like a lot of shows. We went, you know, we toured with Sensefield for like six weeks. We toured with, uh, Sam I am in Europe for like six weeks. Um, you know, there was just like, and there was just so many cool things happening and it was just, the band was just kind of moving along and we were, we we're in this like bubble. So it was like, we were kind of like, and we had a real good sense of humor about it too. You know, like we didn't take anything serious, but you know, we also took, you know, writing songs. We took the necessary stuff serious. Right. You know, we, there was also a lot of like, just, you know, stuff we didn't obviously, but yeah, it was definitely like a, a more positive, like we didn't really hear too much blowback, you know, negativity about the record, about the LP. It was like, the only thing we heard was that, you know, like it sounded it sounded so much slicker than the LP, but like uh, than the seven inch. But we recorded the seven inch in Brian's basement, you know, up against a washing machine, and we recorded the LP with Jay Robbins at Oz in this massive room, you know, with like. Of course, it's going to sound different. <laughs> yeah, and, and we were a better band then too, you know, we could yeah. play more. So it's like all those things. It's now when I hear it, it's like it's just a naturally why it sounds if we got any criticism we either heard it while we were on tour somewhere or getting ready to leave so it didn't matter to us it's just like okay and party just has to go where's your record you know that's like like who because jason i talked about we said like um it seemed like with the criticism um texas was i guess like you know could be perceived as an easy target but the reason it was an easy target is because you guys were popular like you're not gonna like if, yeah. if nobody cared you know that's because that's how yeah. like let's be honest like we all come from hardcore but we know that some of the worst critics can be people you know from whenever you deviate outside of the lines um and when a band gets big it's like some people's gut reaction to just be like oh these guys are especially in the 90s guys are rock stars man like yeah and it's just funny it's just because it wasn't happening to their band right and you're playing (laughs) seven dollar shows in like you know wherever like basements and whatever um it's just so funny to think 
of being a rock star and you're like damn if this is what being a rock star is like yeah (laughs) (laughs) we definitely i mean we definitely had like a lot of good karma as a band in our run you know and it was like you know people could see that as like you know being like us not being really worth the opportunities we got and you know but yeah but if the song it happened to us it happened to us you know sucked and it wouldn't it wouldn't it wouldn't have worked because you can have all the good karma you want right if the, yeah, if the songs are not good we wouldn't be having this conversation <laughs> yeah, like right it, doesn't, exactly. it doesn't matter <laughs> like so that's what's just funny but yeah i'm, I'm of that school of, I'm, well, I'm not a songwriter but i'm of that school of thought where it's like well you're going to criticize something but like you know where where's your you know lp that people are still talking about you know 25 years later <laughs> probably don't have one you know but um what was it like sense field i always i always associated you guys with like promise ring and sense field um and sam i am um Good and company. we we just did uh recording wise we recorded the building episode which you know that i hold that record in you know very high regard like up there with with the texas album what was it like like were those guys they seem like a fun group of guys and john I guess I, you know, I feel like I want to talk a little bit about John Bunch just because, you know, you guys even played the, um, the tribute show for him a few years. That was back. our last show, right? Yeah. And um, what was what was it like? Because Sensefield, I think, at the same time, their trajectory, even though they were around longer, like Building came around this time, like that had to be super fun and exciting for both bands having this these records come out that were like people are still talking about today um for sure i mean for me i mean it started with reason to believe for me i mean uh, you know those that, that was a big you know a seminal record for me and for my the people i grew up with in buffalo like once that made its way up north to us um yeah but i i, I remember that being kind of like a dreamlike situation like getting once that got finalized um to be able to go on tour with them because they were gods to us i mean to me uh, it, uh, they were very tall i remember them so it made them large in stature yeah john is a all a of them guy. were oh, they're all like, chris all yeah. of them um and you you know you're I think it was the earlier episode that we were talking about air drums. I mean, you want to talk about air drums with Mr. McPherson. I mean, that tour, I think Chris and I were probably side stage every night, just doing it all <laughs> right, al- right along with them. Yeah. Um, but that was, you know, a, a, a big one for me. I'll, I'll always remember that because as I said, reason to believe was big for me. And then the the first kind of secret EPs that Sensefield put out, like before they got signed and, you know, some of the songs that ended up on building, like the demo versions, that Blue Buddha one that was released, um, the yellow mm-hmm. and green one. Um, yeah. I remember, shit, that yellow and green one. I was living in Louisville, Kentucky with Duncan from Endpoint. Um, they were on tour in California. Endpoint was on tour in California and I was staying crashing more like it freeloading if i'm being honest uh at duncan's house and i remember the day he came home from the tour he uh i was in the living room and he came in and he handed me the yellow and green 
Sensefield CD. He's like, you're going to love this. I go, what is it? He goes, it's the, uh, most of the people from reason to believe's new band. And from then it just was like an obsession. And then to get that call, number one, that we were on revelation and number two, that we were going to go out and promote, you know, promote with Sensefield was pretty heavy for, for us. I think as all four of us, I, could, I think I could speak for all of us in when this, we, this um, one instance. <laughs> when, when we talk to those guys, I figure I'll, I'll put you on blast here, Garrett. I asked, you know, I talked about the tribute shows and I mentioned if they had any highlights of, of guest singers and Chris said, uh, you doing dreams to him was just like the ultimate kind of like full circle moment because he remembered you from being at the shows in Buffalo singing along to that song to them. Yeah. Being I'm getting stage. choked up just thinking about it. Yeah. No. I, and I, 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 you know, John, um, we, we talked a lot about him and I just, I always just associated both, uh, both bands and both are super special to me. And, um, you know, I'm just, it's, it's nice to see people, honor john and i'm sorry i didn't mean to you know uh stir up anything here um but uh, it's all good i just um it's awesome that people are still talking about this stuff all these years later and have all these these great memories um that i know you guys you know carry with you to this day um like i was thinking about touring you know toured with sam i am and i saw you know then later on garrett you did soleo with uh, Sergi, you know, great band. I got to see Solea. Uh, and Scott McPherson was in Solea. Oh, nice. I, I forgot about that. Yeah, so it's very like, much. It really did. I can, I can see how this band and, and these records for you guys changed the entire trajectory of your life. And oh, um, for sure, you know, that's, that's cool. Um, can and, I say so much? I want to say like, sure. That, no, to add with Garrett, like that, so, you know, like we had put out the EP and that summer we, we toured with Shift uh, around the U.S. I mean, that fall. And, you know, that was like an amazing experience. And we were still like wet behind the ears and like finding our footing as a band. And it was like by the spring, you know, we had gotten the opportunity. Sensefield had come out and I think we got offered to play like a few shows with them because they were on tour for Killed for Less. And we played John Hiltz's Basement with them yeah. and I think brownies and it was just like that was just like I can't believe we're playing this sense field like that yeah we would say that every night I was like if we never do anything else as a band like oh. this is like for me because I just like yeah I love reason to believe and I think Garrett I think you turned me on uh, with when you had gotten that EP you sent me mm. the tape of it you know yeah. so like I can't believe we get to play with this band like this is amazing you know and, I remember uh, that John Hilt's basement so very very well that was amazing but Very well. like, we put the lp out and then it was like it was just like building was coming out too and Re- you know revelation was like would, would you guys want to tour together or we just like both like <laughs> yeah how blown away were like, you by building you know, and that was it. just like as a as just fun. a fan i couldn't wait for that tour because i was like i can't believe yeah. I watch sensefield every night for six weeks like yeah and it was like this it was, and it was like little did we know like the the how good of friends we were going to become and scott mcpherson to this day is like one of my closest friends and like yeah garrett yeah. said like we watched every night like it wasn't like we weren't jaded or like you know tired or it was like you just wanted to like 
watch each other play each other and feed off that and like just like get inspired but also it was just like we had so much fun in their company and like yeah you know, it, we would have definitely toured many more times you know if both bands persevered in that i can i can remember puffing but, my puffing my chest a little bit on that tour being like yeah that's right you know like east coast west coast revelation you know like that was for me, that was about as big as I thought it would get, to be honest. Yeah, you know? totally. That's beautiful, though. And how blown away were you when you heard the building record? Like, for me, that's that's the one. Like, it was, yeah, it's a it's a it's a life changer. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just uh, it's so important to so many people, myself included. Um, but um, anyway, back to Texas. Sorry. Um, I always wanted to ask too, I saw something when I was listening on Spotify, <laughs> there was, you know, they put sometimes like the lyrics or like a little like blurb and something yeah. to forget. Um, actually, there was a quote and I, I don't know who it was attributed to that. Um, the question that wasn't there must have been, why did you re-record it? Um, and it was, I wish I could remember the direct quote, but it was pretty funny. It basically said like, there's a reason we did a version two because we weren't happy with version one, which you guys, uh, uh, you know, did allude to um, might've been the previous one or might've been on, on this. Um, was that why you, you just weren't happy with uh, version one? I mean, I, I think the version two, if I must say, annihilates version one. Um, but I was seeing what you, what you guys thought. Well, it was road tested, you know, in between, I would imagine. Um, I can't think of a specific reason. Like, is the end parts different too, right? Yeah. Like we wrote a whole different, like, like kind of ring, whereas the other song just rang out like after. We also could have been in the position of not having enough songs for an LP. That's what I'm under. That's what I remember. But we also had to make it a little different. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because we wrote uh, the instrumental in the studio because we needed another song. <laughs> and Jay plays on that, correct? Uh, he's yeah. the feedback. Yeah, he's the feedback. And then is there a and song the, on yeah. here? Oh, sorry. Um, where there was supposed to be piano and it was turned down. I feel like I heard Norman mention maybe on an Instagram live thing he did a while back. People were asking questions about mm. this LP. And like there was a track where there was piano and then somebody, maybe even him, asked to have it like mixed down so low that you can't hear it. Cause, and I made a joke saying like hardcore guilt. And he's like, honestly, I think that's what it might have been. Do you have any recollection of that? I don't. Do you, Chris? I don't, but it might have been one of those things. Like, we could be pretty harsh in like, you know, if someone's like, hey, what about this? It would, it would immediately like the dissenting voices would be like, no, fuck that, fuck that. Or, you know. <laughs> No, no. And it was, you know, it could have been one of those things like, it's like, it might have even just been like, it just might have been a look, you know, like, no way. Yeah. But maybe I during, maybe in the drinking song? Maybe. I wish I, I, wish I knew. Uh, yeah. But I, it's, it's slightly, but it was probably something that was just, yeah. I don't think we've spent too much time. Mm-hmm. And then here's another random question I have about a song on the record that I always wondered um, for the day's refrain. It ends up working, of course, but were the clicks in the beginning originally just supposed to be for keeping time? And then you decided like, hey, let's. Those weren't clicks. That's daily. That's those drumsticks, right? 
Yeah, that's what I mean. Well, that, yeah, but like, yeah, but they weren't they weren't just a tempo meter. It was no. It was uh, they needed to be there, but we we took it out. We did take it out, okay. and it, did, it sounded weird. Yeah, I can't imagine it without. But I did. I think it was like I want. I think I I was even. I might have been the only one. Was like, no, that like I don't want to keep them. Like they're just for tempo. But everyone was like, no, it you, you kind of like. I just remember it being one of those things when. Okay. I, you guys all think it's you know, it was that type of thing. I I, I wasn't stuck on it that I was like. I kind of like sometimes like them being like, are you crazy? It made me like step back a little and be like, all right, yeah, I'll, I'll, you know, but that was the thing. We did a lot of things that like, you know, like a lot, just like, I guess we we're just trying to be obtuse, but you know, just do things a little left of center. That might've been, you know, one of those things like, let's just leave it in. I mean, you are playing it and I was going to have to play it live too. Cause it's just to set the meter of the song. So we're like, if it's always going to be part of the song, let's just leave it as part of the song kind of that thing like yeah okay so i was trickery i was was sort of sort of right there um another thing that always caught my eye and opened me up to a whole other world um that i'm still in love with to this day special thanks to game face for the lyric we lifted because of course we always talk about pre-internet i mean this didn't have like that big thanks list but that little nugget there got me to buy Game Face Records and become awesome. a big fan of Jeff Cottle's songwriting and Game Face and everything. Can you, Garrett, can you talk a little about the story? I know I've heard something like there were Norman and Jeff had been corresponding or maybe you, and there was this that lyric uh, that you ended up using for Back into the Left. Well, I'm sure I... Perfectly. I'm sure that must have happened on a tour with them. I can't pinpoint the exact thing but that was looking back that was something that I tended to do with whoever we were out with if there was you know you know that kind of universal musical connection that you get when you're out on like in the trenches uh, especially in your formative years um, I ended up lifting lyrics because a lot of the time and Chris can attest you know I, I would imagine a lot of the Texas songs did didn't have finished lyrics until I put them down in the studio. There was a lot of gibberish being sung and a lot of um, stuff being repeated. No pun intended. Uh, Game face. Have a song gibberish. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I, I did not mean to do that, but uh, yeah, yeah. I, I would imagine that happened at the tail end of a tour, and it just kind of stuck. And you know, getting into the studio and being forced to get in front of a microphone with written lyrics that everybody's going to see and hear. Uh, when it got to that point and back into the left, I rem- remember we called him, Chris, right? Didn't we call him from the studio? Yeah, I remember. Yeah. Like in the control room. It's a, that yeah. sounds familiar, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that was just a little loving nod to our buds on the West Coast. And then, you know, you did it with Copper too, with. Uh, with uh, Jack with One Eye. Yeah. yeah. See, Jason, yeah. I was right. I, 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 I <laughs> and then I said, this another thing that became was was a it was the lyric of the song post recording, but just didn't make the recording. Was in um in the, a Jack with One Eye too is uh, another drink and I won't miss her from. Oh yeah, from the Verve. Yeah, that be yeah. that was like that was always the lyric after that, but it just never was recorded. But yeah, that's just where, how. I, where is that in the song? I, just in the in the. Uh, I'll have to look up a lot. Like it, 
can't like when he's saying can't hold your breath like can't I, hold your breath that part th- yeah okay. alive that that never sang like that it's saying another drink and i won't miss if you hear any live version of it it's always yeah. there i never sang the i don't think i ever sang the lp version really no, uh, no of that no. part of that that's why i say the lyric, i saw you guys the i should have remembered this i, I didn't uh, yeah what uh who does the backup vocals on the record me you do it's all the backups me. okay yeah. and me and I, and, and, I do yeah. all the high harmonies no i'm just kidding <laughs> one memory i do have chris uh that stands out did you come back to oz after i had done vocals you came back yeah right? so you i left well, and I came had back. To, yeah i had to work like a few days that week so i went down for the weekend did my drum tracks hung out went home sunday night and i think i came back like thursday yeah. and i but don't remember already, what what i, I had we were totally mixing finished. at that point i think you yeah, had finished a lot by then because i was but, like holy shit well one like, memory i have i think we had gotten a cassette and i think we went out to the car your car or the van or whatever vehicle we had and i remember playing you um the drinking song and you being like holy shit <laughs> i remember that being i remember that like a beaming the, moment for me the harmonies in that like in the chorus yeah i was just like oh like it kind of gave me like a vision of like how much different this record was gonna sound you know where i was yeah. like holy shit like jay jay robbins wouldn't let me bring in a gospel choir though which is what i really wanted <laughs> shot it down <laughs> come on jay bring that up to him revelation couldn't afford him <laughs> probably but not t- very tongue-in-cheek I don't yeah. Think. yeah yeah the next album, though, that would have happened. It would have been gospel yeah, singers, yes, horn, yeah. section. horn section. Yes. Uh, <laughs> that would be the, the difficult second album. Uh, that, yeah, that took 20 years to make. <laughs> Can you tell us about the artwork for the for this record? Or do you know who you are? John now, Marcus again. <laughs> well, Marcus photo, but didn't you yeah. win? Yeah. So, oh, yeah. Uh, same team. It's a Marcus, Marcus photos from uh, the pictures are from when we played Maxwell's um, in Hoboken, New Jersey, which was kind of like one of our home bases, Maxwell's and Brownies. Between I believe the- all those pictures are from the same night. They're all. Yeah. So the like yep. insert pictures of us is on stage and then the um, wraparound photos are from uh, Maxwell's was like a dinner uh, if you never went, it was a dinner uh, venue. So you went in, and it was a, a like a gastro pub. It's what it eventually became, but it was just like a bar with a with tables like super cool in Hoboken. Yeah. Okay. And the tables all had these like vintage lamps and like little candles on them. And I re- I was sitting next to John when he took the 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 role that the cover photo is on. I remember I was sitting in that you know that little front room with all the glass, all the windows. Yeah. It was at one of those tables. I remember him taking those photos. And I remember, it's funny, it's like, I remember seeing the pictures and being like, you know, seeing a cocktail glass. And I was like, oh, we're so, we're so like grown up. Like, you know, (laughs) I felt like, you know, I was like, I hope I don't get too much shit for it. Like, think, you know, the things that you just like think about, like, I hope I don't get shit for that or something. Dude, but that would have been something that people, I mean, I didn't. Totally in the nineties, but no, but luckily, I mean. No, it was just like I don't care. I, to, again, like the minimalist <laughs> approach. I was like, I it was cool that you know the the little wrap around and like the you know the way that the the print was in like silver and oh yeah, it was so like you know just I loved Glenn Mariansky's design. You know the way he put that together and just like yeah. an insert too, just that little picture in the middle with our name. Yeah, yes, mm-hmm. I was gonna say. You know, it was, no, I, uh... I just I liked. I thought it spoke. I thought it was 
really cool packaging to, you know, it really represented the music that was inside. Like the first initial last name, like it looks really like, yeah, I, and that I was, love that. That was stuff that was, I would, I would imagine there wasn't a lot of discussion even between the band members and Glenn, you know, it, it was just our general communal aesthetic. And Glenn you know, and just... Scott live together, you know, in a like tiny walk up in East Village. So like, I mean, they literally thought like one mind for the most part. I mean, yeah. a lot of us did, but I'm sure it was like, you know, Glenn, Glenn and Scoots, uh, you know, were on the same wavelength creatively and the things, the aesthetics they were into. And yeah, I'm sure there was probably some like, you know, words kind of discussed, but Glenn, like that's, Glenn's done work for like, you know, stuff for I've done over the years and it, Working with him is really awesome because you just kind of like you you just let him hear the music, and he creates something that that you know mirrors it very well or you know perfectly almost you, know, so. you know and that's like with that it's like that just was the perfect like you know it couldn't any other way you know and then yeah. what what yeah, did you think had that Uber oh, record kind of vibe to it too which I like you know what did you think when you saw the uh, thirty degrees everywhere cover were you guys both like oh man like. <laughs> Because I always thought they looked so much alike. At I a did glance. too, but it was like you know they were our friends, so it was like you know, it wasn't like you're going to be like, like you know it was obvious that I mean it wasn't a I don't think it was a coincidence, but like you know I also think it was their kind of take on it too. You know I don't know. I thought it, it was, was cool at the time because it was kind of. I mean, like and it was, movie. and we were actually, yeah. I mean, like I think like you no, know, we had been we were broken up by the time that came out actually, so that was like after. But still, yeah. I mean, at the time, though, yeah. I mean, it is similar looking. Yeah. I mean, again, as a fan, it was cool a lot of stuff was. Uh, bo- both bands, I loved and seeing you know, and I knew you guys played together and all. Um, I guess before we we wrap up and get to hot tracks, I do want to ask about, uh, and it's right now as we're recording this, it's relevant because we had talked about the Beatles, um, get back documentary. Do you know who you are? famously is uh what is it the something the one of the last things said to john lennon right is that what it is so the folklore goes yeah <laughs> but yeah that's where i got it from it's that's... i mean it's supposedly like a standard emt you know when you're when someone is like losing consciousness okay something. so so the folklore is that you know before john lennon lost consciousness you know he he was still had it and that's what he was asked do you know who you are and it just yeah, I don't know. I mean, Garrett, um, Garrett was like crazy immersed in the Beatles at that time. Um, you know, and he, you know, when it came up, it just like, it, it just was a cool, you know, like our band name, like everything was just kind of like. We had song titles before we had songs. Yeah, we came up <laughs> yeah. with, with, that's what it was. If it's here, we get yeah. back. It's ours was a song title before, you know. That, that was something we would say to each other if we were walking around the East village back when we, you know, all worked at bookstores and, you know, the juice, juice shops. And uh, if on Thursdays, New York would put the big garbage out, you know, and we'd walk around and if we saw like a desk, we'd be like, Oh, well, if that's here, when we get back, it's going to be ours. We'll just take it back to the apartment. Yeah. You know, and stuff like that. Um, that was, yeah. I believe Lennon scoots actually like going that one. Oh yeah, for sure. But, uh, yeah. It was like, that's what it was. It was like, it, you know the the words just kind of was like that's that's it that's going to be the song title and I mean that was a big influence on what ended up coming late like later if you think about a band like Fall Out Boy with those long song titles to me I always thought 
they got it from bands like Texas. Um, I mean, there's possibly. no way we can talk. There's no way I can talk myself out of this one. I mean, it's Morrissey. I mean, that's just like so yeah. on. Those yeah. yeah. So it's definitely like, you know, a, you know, carrying the tradition of that, you know, like kind of over, over the top, but yeah, just kind of like also not really having much substance behind the words, just like the imagery that, you know, it creates. Yeah. Well, I, I always like any time that there can be a, a nod to the Beatles, I think is cool. So I thought that I always, you know, when I'd heard that about the title, I always thought that was super rad. Um, and uh, so, like I said, we'll later on down the line when we do, do the discography, I think we can get more into what happened after this record to sort of give otherwise, you know, that would be a three minute episode talking about here's a discography and there's a couple songs you missed. So um, that's what you think it'll be. <laughs> I don't want it to be. That's so, that's the meat of the story. I do, <laughs> I do think that uh, now would be a good time to do or Jason, do you have anything else before we. Yeah, I got one because oh. we're going to do we're about to do hot tracks. But since I love the drums so much on this record, I want to ask Chris if he's got a song that has a quote unquote hot fill. <laughs> Let me see. Look if there's there. a. A fill or role that you're proud of one. or enjoyed playing. I mean, the um, the kind of breakdown is something to forget, where it goes kind of bombastic towards me. You know, That's mine. Where it goes yeah. by. That was kind of like, and that was like, I didn't think I could do that, and they were like, "No, that's how it." You know, you got, you know, it's got to be like. It's so it's pretty nuts. Uh, you know, it was pretty crazy to play and get. Um, I like that. I like. Um, I think my favorite, though. I mean, my favorite drumming on this is is definitely back into the left. I mean, just because it's like, I think that's the like, you know, you know, one of probably like a good example of like how I play. You know, just like. And I mean, you really, I mean, it's a fun song to play because you just get to like lay into it, you know? And, uh, but yeah, I don't, you know. How about yours, Jason? What was your, what my was hot, hot fill? Yeah. Something to forget, yeah. Same. But exactly so the that, part that Chris that, talked that part about. The, oh my yeah. God, yeah. Where everything That's just goes like wild. I mean. It was like, you know, I was listening to a lot of Who at the time too. So I was like really into the Who. Me and Scoots were like, you know, always like, like talking like we loved uh kids will have their say and like yeah so it's just like it felt like i could like it felt like keith moon you know like yeah it's nuts and the snare i mean your snare sounds fucking great on this also but you talked about before the loosening uh of the lug on the on the seven inch but are you talking yeah the seven on the lp though it's funny you mentioned the snare on the lp when I, i had the same snare i still use it to this day it's a pearl free floating uh brass uh rim snare uh, shell um and i it's just a great snare it sounds amazing but i i had that and i like tuned it i had kind of like had it perfect and i brought it to go record some uh do you know who you are we got down to oz and you know the like the house kit was there and there was also just a bunch of snares i brought my i had recorded on the chrome ludwigs i still play to this day and uh i had my snare and i was like whoa what's this snare and, and uh Jay just happened to mention, he's like, oh, that's the, um, he's like, that was Adam Wade's snare. Uh, 
he recorded yes. Pony Express record on that. Oh, I remember that. Okay, I guess I'm going to be using this. <laughs> and so there's a couple, like the snare on, um, there's a couple songs where it's really tight. On, uh, I think Johnny on the Spot. Uh, yeah. Uh, there's no way, uh, drinking song, something to forget. Do you know, uh, back into the left and maybe one other song I use that snare because it's tighter. And then the other one I use my snare, it's got a little more like meat to it. Like, you know, it's, it's not as uh, tight, but I was like, you know, I was like, I just had to use that snare because I was like, and I, but I didn't, I barely spent any time playing it. You know, now it's kind of foolish. Like I was literally just like, <laughs> you know but it was it was definitely Dude, a different see that's sound the stuff was... we love on here like we love <laughs> the little nuggets like that and i mean that pony express record it's come yeah. up before but it's just like it just like you know because we were there and like that was one of the reasons we wanted to record there that and for your own special sweetheart i was just like oh it just seemed serendipitous that it was there yeah. and i'm like i'm gonna use it and it's cool now because it's like you know everyone's like those snares and i was like yeah but it wasn't like my, it wasn't the snare sound that like I actually would go for like even with my snare it's like I'd go tighter but not that you know it was pretty serious but it was also a wood shell and my is a brass shell too so it's a different sound but you know that is a cool little uh, footnote for drummers yeah no, I, I'm not a drummer and I love hearing stuff like that and again <laughs> that was what I mean when someone's not a drummer and they can say that like the drums are one of the highlights that's a high compliment, I, I think. Like I said, and I, that was my same take with Quicksand Slip is the whole band's great, but Alan Cage on that record, um, you know, I hold you in that. Your drumming on this is like that level for me where it's just like, Thank you. it makes, it like ties the whole record together. Um, so I do think then it is time for hot tracks. Um, Chris, we'll, we'll, we'll hit you first with a hot track. All right. Um, let me see. I'm gonna say I mean, yeah, I would I'm gonna go with the jack with one eye. That definitely is like one of my favorite Texas songs to play to this day. That like, you know, in three, you know, time just kind of laid back. It's kind of uh that was that that song in particular was a big verb influence. Um Urban hymns, or not urban, uh, Northern Soul. Northern Soul, yeah. There's like, I mean, that's kind of what that, like, that draggy roll thing I'm playing was like, you know, was my homage to that. But, um, and then just to like, when in the heavy part playing that, it's just, uh, that's a great song. It's fun to play. And, you know, always, always, you know, it's always a standout track, always a, it's always the perfect way to end our set. We've tried ending with other songs and it just playing that earlier in the set just seems like you know, never felt right. And then, yeah. You're just like, no, that we have to end with that. Just quiet <laughs> snare thing. And you know, that's it. So that, um, I like that. That is my hot track as well. So I'll jump in. Um, it is the, I've said it before on here. I love when a record has a perfect ending song like you know and i mean that song and it's just i don't i'm not a guitar i have a guitar and i feel like whenever i tune to drop d that dun, 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 like that's the one of the first things i go to to play um because it's like kind of like hypnotic but i love the the backup vocals 
Um, and the lyrics, you know, your place is still at the heart of my everything. Just, it fits so perfectly. Um, there's a lot of moments where Garrett's delivery on here just like sends chills up my spine, like just on the whole record. Um, so I could pick like hot lyric, but I, I guess I won't do that unless you, <laughs> it's like, like, like I love like you, Garrett had a way of taking like a simple phrase to me and just like the, I mean, in Johnny on the spot, I'll say like, I'll make up my own damn mind. Just let me sit here for a while. I, I get chills every time I hear that. And it's like a simple lyric. It's not anything wild, but the delivery is just a fantastic. Same thing with like, you know, you, you were able to make a phrase like uh, same old shit, just different day sound <laughs> not fucking corny. That's hard to do. <laughs> like it sounds it's just I love it. But well, thank you. Song song wise, a, a Jack with one eye. That's like that's the ultimate mixtape song. Like that's the ultimate like, you know, hot track for me. Um, that's what I would play for someone for the first if they've never heard your band. I would give them that song because i think that is the whole texas experience in like you know three and a half minutes or however long the song is right on jason what you got i need two because oh, wow. yeah this one allows it <laughs> anyone that listens to the podcast knows i love feedback and one of the best feedback moments besides you have the chain of strength opening for impact Inside out burning fight. <laughs> Texas is the reason you know who you are. When I guess it was Jay Robbins does that yep. feedback that mimics the guitar notes. Yep. That's just yeah. the best. But that would be unfair to the rest of the record. Well, I, so I wanted to add, Jason, something about that song was I, you meant Chris mentioned breaking up in March of 97. So I, I got this record in. Uh, like around this time of year on the hot, you know, Black Friday uh, of 1996, I become a huge fan. And then March of 97, before I got to see the band, because I think you guys played Philly on a school night and I was 15 at the time or whatever. <laughs> um, you played Silk City, which is a diner. Oh, yeah. And uh, I was devastated when you ended because I didn't get to see you. And actually I'd heard... You guys ended the same day someone told me that Lifetime ended, was also devastated. Luckily, I had seen them. And Sepultura, <laughs> it was the same time that Max Cavalera apparently quit. So it was a no bad shit. day. It was a bad day for me, but <laughs> I saw you in Philly. And I guess normally when you did the reunion tour, you had just kind of come out to this song. Am I correct? The, the instrumental. But in yeah. Philly, there was this emotional um you know i guess a, a fan had had passed away and i just remember you guys actually played it and it was just like like i'm getting goosebumps thinking about it and it was just it was like amazing because it is it's just this like beautiful piece of music um you know instrumentals can be tricky to to make them cool and it fits the vibe of the record so much and seeing you guys play that as a tribute to a late fan was yeah, that also, was a heavy one. The story had went that the family had reached out and just mentioned that they were coming to the show and, you know, they had told this, his story and, um, you know, then just mentioned that that was his favorite song and that's what, you know, we're coming to the show and, you know, we're, we're all looking forward to, like, you know, sharing in that. 
And so that's, uh, you know, Norm and Garrett, I think probably were the first to come up with the idea of like, well, how about for that show, you know, because we were thinking we would come out and dedicate it to them and play, you know, but that's like, well, let's just, why don't we perform it then, you know? It was so the we only had, time we ever did that. Yeah, we never, I mean, it was, recorded, it was recorded and played in the studio when we recorded the album and that was it. And in the early days, which is weird, like when we first toured the album, we didn't even use it as intro music. Like we never, mm. we only started using it as intro music when we reunited in maybe 2006, I guess. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, we did. We needed to pad the set a little too, but we did that in the 2006, we had that, those intro movies. Yeah. Which are pretty cool to go along with it. So, but yeah, it was the first time to like, you know, so it was like, it felt even better to, to learn it and play it, to do something, play a special one-time only version of it too. It was incredible. I felt I like that kind of just shows the power of music um i thought it was absolutely beautiful so i I would have been remiss if i didn't mention that so yeah jason what's your second right i was gonna say that song just leads so perfectly into back into the left and you have that drum that drum fill right before the lyrics kick in where it just slows down a little bit and i think that is just i don't know i've always loved your drumming i'll you know it always stood out to me as one of the things that it inspired bands that I was in. And uh, I don't know, there's just something about that song, the urgency of it after, do you know who you are when it kicks in? I've always loved that. And then you have Garrett with the woo at the end, which is just, <laughs> I love it. It's yeah. hard to pull off a good woo, but that's one of the best right An- there. Another little fun fact about, do you know who you are back into the left? That was, there was tremendous debate over that, starting the record yeah i remember uh, that who you are being the intro to the album interesting and, and uh i believe norman was like really pro like he's like you know and i was just my hang up was that like there were there were no drums for like two minutes and i was just like it, i just felt like there it was too long but like as to start side two and the thing is, I would have loved to kick the record off with Back Into the Left, but it would have been a whole different album altogether. If, Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and if it started with, with Do You Know Who You Are, like it would, it would be kind of like a, a cold opening, you know, until it got to that and then it would kick in. I don't know. You know, it's like one of those things like, I wonder what that, have been, what, what that have, would have done to the album. Like, it's hard to think, but it happened the way it happened. And I think I like hearing it start with Johnny on the spot is like, makes more sense you got to me, start with that fill there's a possibility of, of do you know who you are and back to the left starting off the record yeah yeah probably nah. johnny on the spot being side too i couldn't you know? picture it any other way yeah this, so it was <laughs> just like it just it just it just i could it was like we were like no that cannot that's not how we did records it's just, <laughs> i'm yeah. glad i'm Why? glad did it like it's <laughs> too quiet you know this record though before we wrap up with garrett's hot track you know jason said it inspired um you know even bands he was in and and i just wanted to reiterate usually we would you know talk a little more about it when we record the intro and outro stuff but um this was i think a real turning point for me too where you know i always liked all kinds of music but i felt like once this took hold i was i that was officially like the blinders 
came off like those the hardcore right punk blinders and this is what opened me up to bands like oasis and the verve and blur and just like a whole other world of stuff that i think i would have shut out otherwise so thank you for that um it's funny you say that that's exactly where i'm at with this record yeah really? it, this was the real yeah. crux of i was like yo like realizing that people that came from hardcore i always said like people that come from hardcore punk end up making the best music even when it's not you know like like again look at a band like um you know nirvana right they had their roots in that like bands that maybe you wouldn't think or or even um you know sloan that i you know they 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 came from hardcore or whatever came from hardcore and punk because i think that that urgency of and the songwriting it never leaves even if the music doesn't speak to it like i'm thinking of a band like a super chunk same deal like it, you, you kind of keep that spirit and that this was a real like game changer for me um where i saw that like people that came from the scene could expand but still kind of like you said stay in like stay in their lane but still like let other cars merge um, yeah and a good uh, analogy i'm super thankful but uh garrett i guess to wrap up what is your hot track on this mm, i'd have to say do you know who you are just it just encapsulates the record for me oddly i suppose there's nothing else going on but guitars i'm gonna remember um, this <laughs> <laughs> guess i'll fuck I off can, now <laughs> I can see Norman and I kind of struggling like, oh shit, we need one more song. And he's like, I have this. And I was like, I have that. And Jay was like, well, you need something else. Let me go out and try this. It just was the kind of, um, the great unifier for me. It was, I think a lot of people were surprised by that song and maybe that was intentional, but not entirely for sure. Not entirely, but anytime I hear it, I'm instantly transported, you know, more so I think than anything that we wrote it just, it just holds a uh, very special place for me. So Maybe the, I think the most cinematic thing that we did, even though there's hardly anything going on in it. <laughs> no, I, that's I the thing. That. I think like if we had started the LP with that, it was it would it would have been like making a statement, you know. Whereas putting yeah. it within the body of the record, it was this like thing that kind of carried you over. Yeah, you, you know, like when you're yeah. doing something, it's like this nice moment in the middle of it, you know, where it where it, you know, which was a happy accident, I think. But yeah, yeah it's like, and you know, I can. You know, going back to the even before the band, you know, when I was in high school making mixtapes, um, I always looked for a song or an instrumental or something to kind of weave it into the side B. You know, like I always did that, especially when I upgraded and got the kind of the dual record uh, deck with the recording level when you could, you know, fade out your own tracks. I remember that being a real big part of my mixtape making process. So I'm sure maybe that had something to, that has something to do with why I'm so connected to that song. I think it creates a vibe. And I always thought it sounds cold. 
Like I always associate, it sounds like a real, like, it's a winter record. Winter. We yeah, made it when really it was cold, winter, you know, very wintry, yeah. the whole thing. I, yeah. I associate it with, and again, I don't, I, I didn't know if that was just because of when I bought it and it's like those sensory things where it just takes you back, but mm. especially that instrumental, it's like, I'm yeah. transported back to winter 96. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. well, guys, thank you so much. Um, Thank, we, you. Uh, Thank you for having us. Really appreciate you letting us geek out over this. Um, happy to happy. And uh, yeah. you know, we will uh, be in touch for Rev One Fifty One, which is only a hundred releases away. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you uh, the address of my nursing home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe in the meantime, awesome. like I said, I would love to. I would love to talk to. You. <laughs>